Good. All right. So this, this is the first Sunday of Advent. However, we're going to start an Advent series next Sunday called Do You See What I See? Um, here's here's going to be the focus of our Advent series that's going to go four, four sessions, um, three Sundays, and then Christmas Eve. And, uh, and we're going to be looking at the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and their focus on Jesus and his coming. Sorry about that. Just got quiet in here. It's good. Um, uh, on Jesus, the four Gospels and their focus on Jesus and his coming, who he is. Um, and uh, so we'll talk more about that next week. But if you are, if you subscribe to our EB update, our email bulletin that goes out every week, this morning you would have received in your inbox a devotional from Focus on the Family that is focused one uh, for four weeks, uh, each week focusing on one of the Gospels and what they, uh, we just came across this after we already had our, our uh, message series in place for, for the Advent series and, uh, and we came across this and I think it dovetails really beautifully with what we're doing. So if you're interested, it's, it, nobody's telling you what you have to do in your devotion time, but, um, but it's there for you as a tool. If you'd like to go along with us uh, using that devotional starting today uh, up until Christmas Eve, uh, we welcome you to do that. And I think it will enrich our experience as we go together through this series, this Advent series starting next Sunday. But the reason why we are holding off starting our Advent series till next week is because we have to finish our Future Proof Your Life series today, right? Which actually works out not that badly because the first Sunday of Advent is usually focused on, it. the focus is hope and it's focused on the return of Christ. And so there we go, works out well. All right, so we're going to dive in. There's a lot of ground to cover once again today. Um, and uh, once again, I encourage you to do up your seatbelts and get ready to, ready to roll. Last week, we left off um, talking, we talked about the, the seven-year tribulation period last week. And uh, um, I should mention that during, while, while that seven-year tribulation period, uh, again, if, if you're just joining us today, uh, I'm, I'm not going to re-preach any of that, so you're going to have to catch up with uh, the messages online. Uh, go back and listen to them, so you might feel like you're jumping into the middle of something, because you are, um, but that's all right. Uh, during the seven-year time of tribulation on the earth that the Bible talks about. That's what's happening here on earth. But there are some things that are happening. Remember, um, we said before, my opinion, my, my, my belief is before, at the beginning of that tribulation period, 
the, the church of Jesus Christ will be taken out of the world, right? So what are we doing during those seven years? Uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because that was just something I thought this morning. I, I, need, to, I need to stick that in there. Um, what are we doing during those seven years? So what's happening during that seven years is, first of all, there's the, what's called the judgment seat of Christ. That you and I are, our, our works are weighed um, how we have served Jesus. We're, we're, not, we're not judged as followers of Christ, as, as the church of Jesus Christ. We're not judged for, for heaven and hell because we're in Christ, Right? But our works are weighed. And you can find this, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There's some discussion of that there. Where it talks about everything that we've done being tested as with fire. And some of what we've done is wood, hay, and straw. And it's burned up. And some of it is gold and precious jewels and, and, and will shine brightly for the Lord. Right? Because sometimes our selfish motives get mixed in with the things that we do, and, and the things that we do truly for the glory of Christ will, will shine, will be, will be eternal. Right? And we will receive crowns. We sang about it this morning. We'll receive crowns, and then we'll throw them at the feet of Jesus because, because only He is worthy. Right? be an act of worship to take the crowns that we're given, the reward that we're given, and say, Jesus, it's all about you, right? And then is the marriage supper of the Lamb. The bride of Christ celebrates the feast, the wedding feast with Jesus. Wow, big party. So that's what's going on. We won't gain weight. You're right. You can eat. You don't, it doesn't matter if you're no keto in heaven, right? You can eat all the desserts you want. I don't know. Maybe. Hopefully. <laughs> going to say goodbye to keto when I go up. All right. Enough of that. Um, so, so. What we have, uh, I want you to, if you have Bibles or Bible apps, you can, you can turn with me to Revelation chapter 16. We're going to jump in there. Um, and, uh, and we want to talk, first of all, this morning about the end of the rebellion and the beginning of the millennium. Okay, the end of the rebellion. Remember we talked about the rebellion being the Antichrist and his rebellion against, uh, against Jesus and his followers and God's purpose on the earth. Um, and, uh, and at some point, so, so what we have in, in chapter 16 of, of Revelation, it talks about the, the bowls of God's wrath. Now we talked about this last week. Uh, again, I don't want to re-preach it, but we want to be careful about what we mean when we talk about God's wrath, right? Um, his, it's His justice and love in action. Go back and listen to that if you missed it. Um, so, 
But, but what we have here is something very similar to what we see in the ten plagues of Egypt. Right? That, that Pharaoh again and again and again hardened his heart and refused to surrender to God because Pharaoh thought he was God. Lit, like literally thought he was God. He was worshipped as a deity. No God's going to tell me what to do. The reality is, that's the mindset of many, many people on planet Earth today, right? If there's a God, it's me, and nobody's going to tell me what to do, right? And, and, and here's the Antichrist who, as, we, as we've studied literally sets himself up to be worshipped as God, right? And, and so uh, there's this rebellion, and, and, and God, God's wrath is poured out in these bowls of wraths um, to, you know, for opportunity for people to see, I, maybe we're going the wrong way here, <laughs> right? But the, the determination of the Antichrist to push against God and his purpose takes him right to the end, right? And so here's what we have. Then I, I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. And so then it describes the bowls uh, being poured out. But right in the middle of that, uh, in verse 4, after the third angel pours, or verse 5, sorry, after the third angel pours out uh, the, the bowl that he's carrying, the bowl of wrath, uh, wrath of God. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, you are just in these judgments, O Holy One. You who are and who were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people, your prophets, and you have, been, you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, the, the people around the altar. Uh, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. God is always true and just when he acts, right? And as we read these things happening, we need to understand this is not just some grumpy old man in the sky getting even with everybody, but this is the true God who is pure in his motives, who is full of love and, ju and justice, bringing to the earth the, 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 um, what we've brought on ourselves, what the earth has brought on itself, what the, what the Antichrist has brought on himself, right? Um, uh, true are your judgments. And then, then after all the bowls are poured out, in verse 16, we get right to the end of the bowls, all the, all the wrath is poured out, and the Antichrist is so still determined to, to fight against God. Here's what it says in verse 16. Then they gathered the kings together to the place in Hebrew that is called Armageddon. 
seventh angel poured out his bowl in the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, pealings, thunder, and severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on the earth. So tremendous was the earthquake. Um, so, so this is, you may have heard, right? Many of you have, uh, the battle of Armageddon. This is what we're talking about, right? It's, it's a great battle at the end of the seven years when the, the Antichrist and the, 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 the rulers and the kings and the leaders of the earth uh, that are aligned with him uh, co come and attack. Uh, now, now, the Battle of Armageddon, we don't have time to get into it this morning because we've got so much to get into. I'd, if you, if you want to ask me a question about it afterwards or, or later, I can, uh, can talk to you about this. But the Battle of Armageddon will either happen in the valley of Megiddo, which is just to the east. I've actually stood on Mount Carmel and looked out at the, the valley of Megiddo. It's a massive, huge plain uh, of, of flatland. Um, so it will either happen there, or there are some that believe, because of the, the, the language thing that's going on here, that it's talking about Jerusalem. It'll happen at Jerusalem. Um, but either way, the, the, the armies of the world will, will amass against Israel, against Jerusalem, against the people of God. Um, and uh, then we skip a, a couple chapters because it just talks about details about all of this stuff and, and go to Revelation chapter 19. And what we have at the beginning of Revelation chapter 19 is worship and declaration in heaven celebrating the heaven's great champion, right? Jesus, the champion, the one who will lead the armies of God to bring justice and peace to the earth, right? And so uh, Revelation 19, starting in verse 1, After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven, shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are His judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. Um, we don't have time today to get into talking about what the prostitute is, but it's the... Um, it's, it's, it's a false church that has aligned itself with the, with the Antichrist, right? And fallen in w into allegiance with the Antichrist. Um, he has avenged on her, on her the blood of his servants. Because she, she was complicit in murdering and, and killing the, the people of God. Again they shouted, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. 
Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Hallelujah. Then down in verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and this is where this picture that I've put up this morning is, uh, is focused. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. This is Jesus. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule over them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God. Now this, guys, this gets gross. So that you may eat the flesh of the kings and generals. They're calling the, the vultures and the carrion birds. for after Because they're declaring victory before the battle happens. Right? It's, tr it's, 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 it's ancient trash talk. That's what's going on here. Um, of horses and the riders and the flesh of all people, free, slave, great, and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured. Yeah. And with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Yuck. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, to our, to our 21st century ears, this, this, Sounds pretty, pretty sick and gruesome. But battle is sick and gruesome. War is sick and gruesome. And, uh, and this war is the ultimate just war. Right? Um, I, I know in, in the Second World War, there were dedicated pacifists in fact, one of them being um, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a dedicated pacifist who involved himself in a plot to assassinate Hitler, right? Because even though he was a pacifist, he knew this carnage 
and evil must be stopped. Right? And that's, that's the kind of thing that's going on here, is this, this evil must be stopped. And, and all these armies, notice the rest, of, the rest of us, the rest of the armies of heaven don't get to do anything, right? Because it says that, that out with the sword coming out of his mouth, Jesus annihilated the armies. Because we're not talking about some kind of dualistic system where you've got a good guy and a bad guy and they're duking it out and, oh no, who's going to win? We're talking about the creator and king of the universe against created beings who are in rebellion against him. And all he needs to do is speak and they are undone. Right? Love and justice will undo evil in a moment. So the beast and the prophet are thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And, uh, and then it goes on to say, um, verse tw- chapter 20, verse 1, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan. In case there was any confusion who we're talking about, there's four names given here, right? The dragon, that ancient serpent, takes us back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? The devil or Satan, right? And bound him for a thousand years, threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. So, yeah, well, good question, Cletus. What's going on for us? Well, let's, let's keep reading. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus. And because of the word of God, they had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. So, the church has already been resurrected. We've been in, the, in the, what we call the rapture. We've been resurrected. So we're, we're alive and with Christ. And when Christ comes as conquering king with the armies of heaven behind him on horses, white horses, we're part of that. Right? We're part of that. We are now, we, we at that we will have been, um, this isn't just talking about angels. I mean, we will be, we will be a fi- you know, kind of part of the armies of heaven at that point. We will be, the, in some ways, replacing the angels in some ways. 
Because the Bible says we will be elevated and we will, we will judge angels, right? So we will come with Christ and those who have died during the tribulation, giving their allegiance to Christ, will be resurrected. And together with them, we will reign with Christ for a thousand years, is what, is what this is telling us, Right? Um, but who will we reign? Well, there will still be humans on the earth. There will be, there will be us immortals, and there will be mortals for a thousand years. And we will reign. Um, and, you know, um, Isaiah tells us uh, in Isaiah 64, I believe it is. Isaiah talks about how um, he describes this period of time, this, the, the millennium, the, the reign of Christ. And he talks about how, um, you know, uh, the, the age of people will be extend, extended and that someone who is 100 years old will, will seem to be like a little child, right? Um, can you imagine, right, the... The, uh, the, the, the medical advances and the technological advances that we will make on planet Earth when, when there's no evil intentions or no evil, evil um, motives involved and when we have the wisdom and, and the, the, the uh, you know, the creator is here on planet Earth giving us wisdom and, and instruction... Uh, what we're going to, to accomplish. And so the, the age of people will be extended and expanded. Um, can you imagine no corrupt governments? Right? Can you imagine? No exploitation of the poor by the rich. No country experiencing famine or economic collapse. Right? No country on... No nation on planet Earth will, will, be, will be, you know, a third world country, right? Um, no, no terrorist organizations. No need for fear of crime, right? Uh, listen, to, listen to Micah in the Old Testament describes this time period, describes, and, and listen to what he says. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house in Jerusalem shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow to it. There will be worship, right? Um, excuse me. Many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways because he's going to be literally physically present on his throne, right? He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion, the law shall go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift sword up against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. 
right? Peace. Peace. So in verse 7, it says, When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. People have had to obey Jesus for a thousand years. Now we need to find out, do they want to obey Jesus? Right? It's this... You know, we might ask, why did, why did God allow Satan to be a thing in the first place? Like Garden of Eden, why did, why, was he, why did he let him in there? If it, it would have just saved us all kinds of trouble, right? But obedience to God when we don't have a choice is not obedience, right? God used Satan and uses Satan to test our hearts. Do we, do we want to live for God or not? Right? Or, or is our allegiance to him or not? And so he'll be released um, for a short time. And then there's one more final, you know, he, he pulls nations again. There's, a, there's a, another rebellion, right? The people that have chafed against the leadership of Jesus in their lives, they've said, we want, you know, we... I want it my way, right? And, and so they will gather again against God um, and march against Jesus. But Jesus doesn't even get involved in this one. It just says um, that fire comes from heaven and destroys them, right? And then... Then... Oh, I put that up there. Sorry. Could have had you read that with me. Um, Micah 4. And then we get to what we call the great white throne judgment. So in, uh, in verse 11 of chapter 20 in Revelation, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Interesting that it doesn't say who was seated on it, but we kind of, you know, we know. Um, there's actually a, there's a passage in Daniel chapter 7 where we, Daniel has this image of who he calls the Ancient of Days, God the Father, um, seated on a throne. And then God the Son uh, comes and receives a kingdom, um, and, and the Ancient of Days, God the Father says, you will rule forever and ever, right? Um, so, so this is kind of picking up that Daniel piece and saying, we don't need to say his name because we all know who he is, right? He's the one who is and who was and who is to come, right? The one who is seated on the throne, and it says, uh, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. That seems kind of weird, right? I don't know if that's, if that's a literal physical thing, right, that happens, that, that the material universe kind of poof is gone. 
or, or if this is the perception that we have when we're in the presence of God, we, we're not aware of anything else. It's just everything else is gone. And all we see is God in His presence, right? I, I, I don't know what it, what it means, but, but that's the sense that, that in God's presence, it's just you're before Him. And I saw the great, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Now this this isn't like John Grisham novels, right? This is this is records of everything that has happened on planet Earth, right? The books. Books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, the death, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. It's the end of death the end of the grave. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So, that verse brings up a lot of questions. Right? How does, how does someone get their name in the book of life? Because anyone whose name is not found in the book of life, right? How does one get their name in the book of life? Well, um, trusting Jesus, believing in Christ, right? Putting our faith in the one path, the one way, the one, the one path of salvation that, that God has given us. Put, putting our faith in Christ gets our name in the book of life, right? What is the lake of fire? What happens to those who are thrown in the lake of fire? Are they consumed? Do they stay there like conscious torment forever? What, like there's all kinds of ideas. Many, many ideas Today's message is not about hell, so we can't go too deep into this. Um, But many ideas, both for Christians and non-Christians, about what hell is have come as much from movies and pop culture and particularly a a poem written by Dante Alighieri uh, called Inferno back in the 14, 14th century. A lot of the ideas we have about hell come from those things instead of necessarily coming from the scriptures. Um, and so it's important that when we talk about what is hell, that we ask, what does the Bible tell us hell is, right? What does the Bible tell us? And even that can be challenging because um, this is really the only place where we're 
given the description of hell as being a lake of fire. In other places, we're told that it's like a garbage dump, a, a stinky, gross, festering garbage dump. That's what the word Gehenna literally means. That, that is the word that's used for hell in, in many places in the New Testament. In other places, particularly Jesus' Jesus' own parables, he speaks of hell as being outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? So is it a lake of fire? Is it, is it outer darkness? Right? Um, in, in Revelation 22, it speaks about the, the lost being outside the city, the sense that they're cast out and missing out on what, on what uh, you know, they're never allowed to enter into the city of God and, and God's presence. So there are a number of ways that the Bible talks about what hell is. Like I said, we don't have time to, to, to get into it today, but let me say this. The core of what hell is, is to be forever cut off from God, the source of life and love and truth and hope. All that other stuff, you know, if it's, if it's fiery, if it's dark, if it's gnashing of teeth, if it's a garbage dump, it's horrific. It's not a party. And to be cut, forever cut off in, in, in folding into yourself in your own greed and selfishness and brokenness and darkness and cut off from the hope of God and life. It's, it's not good, right? So let's leave it there. Um, and another question I think this brings up is, you know, this picture of people being thrown into a lake of fire, you know, it, is this not harsh? You know, how does a God of love do this? And those are big questions and hard questions. But I, I want to point us to, um, I think C.S. Lewis helps us here a lot, right? Um, because by the time a person has gotten to the white throne judgment, they will have had so many opportunities to surrender their lives to the purpose of God and to believe in Christ for their salvation. And these are those who have rejected God's way for their way. And they said, they said, I would rather, they have said, you know, they may not have consciously said this, but I would rather take the, con the consequences of rejecting God than receiving his offer of hope. C.S. Lewis says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. All that are in hell, he says, choose it. Without that self-choice, there would be no hell. Right? It's God saying, all right, if you want a life without me, then I will let you have that, right? 
This is why we pray for those who don't yet know Jesus as their Savior. It's why we want to share the message of hope everywhere we go. Not only because of people's eternal destiny, but because of the opportunity to live free now. Right? To access the, 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 the love and the peace and the hope of God now. And to live their life for the purpose of God's kingdom. Um, yeah. All right. Now to the last, last section here. This is a lot of stuff to cover we've, we've done over, the last, uh, over this series. So hang with me, guys. It's good stuff. I, the best... The best is yet to come. All right? The best is yet to come. Here we go. So Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 8 to start. Um, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Let me pause there for a moment, because some of us really like the ocean. Anybody really like the ocean? Anybody read that and go, oh, man, are you serious? No sea? What what John is saying here, because right from the first verses of Scripture where it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep. From those very first verses of Scripture, all through Scripture, and, and in ancient cultures, the oceans and the deep were the, were the place of chaos and destruction, and, and people were fearful. That's, that's, where, that's where all our trouble comes from, is the, is the oceans, is the chaos of the deep. So here's, John is not saying there's not going to be any nice water to enjoy. He's saying God will do away with chaos and destruction. That's what he's saying, okay? Um, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will be with them and he will, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And so we there... When we are so focused, I say, I say this often, but I think it's important. We are so focused oftentimes in our, in our talking with people and in, and in our own devotional lives and in our, in our preaching and conversations. We are so focused on getting to heaven, but God is so focused on getting heaven to earth. When Jesus came the first time, heaven broke into this world, this realm. The kingdom of heaven touched down when Jesus was born. That's why there were, there were uh, an army of angels surrounding 
as Jesus entered into this world because that was an act of heavenly aggression into the darkness of this world. That God sent Jesus into this world to bring his kingdom. When Jesus began teaching, he said, the kingdom has come. Go around, go everywhere, tell them the kingdom of God has come. Right? And ever since then, when you and I do the works of the kingdom, we are bringing the kingdom. When someone comes to know Jesus as Savior, the kingdom of God is touched down in that situation and in their life. When someone is healed, when, so, when, a, when a demon is cast out, when, when things of the kingdom happen among us, the kingdom has come. And the, the kingdom of darkness has been displaced. Folks, we are in a war zone. We are. We are in a war zone. But we don't, our focus is not the enemy. We need to be aware of him. We need to know he's out there. We need to be aware when he's, when he's you know, his schemes and his plans. But our focus is Jesus. And as we as we give our attention and our allegiance to Jesus, and as we, as we make ourselves available for his kingdom purpose, the kingdom of darkness is defeated when the kingdom of light comes. When the light shines in the darkness, the darkness cannot overcome it. Right? And so our focus is Jesus. And, and so, so we're, we're, we're seeing God move things towards the day when heaven truly, fully, and completely comes to earth. And we're given this description of a new Jerusalem. It, I don't know, it may be allegorical, it may be, it may be a metaphor of some kind, but it, the descriptions and the measurements and everything that's in there, I just have to believe it's a real city that's coming. The city of God. It's on its way. Jesus said he went to prepare dwelling places. God started everything in a garden so long ago, but he's going to end things in a city. I bet you there's going to be gardens in the city too, for those of you who like gardens. But it's because God is creating a community. He's creating a nation. He's creating a people that will... That will Enter into eternity together, and God will be with us, right? And uh, I am just excited about this city uh, that God says is coming. Uh, we're running out of time, but I, I, just, I have to read some of the description to you, okay? So let's, let's do this. Um, there's... There's, there's so much here that I, I don't know where to start. But um, verse, verse 9 says, One of the angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues. So back earlier in Revelation, the, the, the bowls that were poured out. So one of those guys comes to John and he says, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. It's, that's us living in the city, Right? Um, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was that 
of a very precious jewel like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. The the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. And we won't take time to read that, but I want to describe it in a a moment. Um, It goes on to describe the foundations of the city and, you know, it's all jewels and gold and everything. Verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. God's presence will be the temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor to it. On uh, on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And there's more, but uh, let's, let's just stop there. Um, the dimensions of this city are given as in stadia, which is a, a Roman measurement, but... Uh, in today's measurements, 2,200 kilometers long and wide and 2,200 kilometers high. So it's a cube. Not a Borg cube, for those who know what that is. But a cube. A massive cube. Covers a a big chunk of North America if it was set down on, on North America. I, I don't even know if it's going to actually touch on planet Earth or if it's going to... I don't know. I don't know. Here's, here's a little bit of just... Uh, indulge me for a moment. I have a little theory. Drew a little picture, because you know how great my artwork is. And uh, so what if, because 2,200 kilometers high just seems like, what's the point in having walls that high unless it's all filled with stuff, right? It's actually a three-dimensional city. So what, what if there were 100 layers to this city, And each layer was 22 kilometers high. Right? That's enough height. So Mount Everest is about 9 kilometers. The average depth of the oceans is 4 kilometers. You could have have an ocean on every layer and Mount Everest and have lots of room to spare. Right? Every layer could be a like... Uh, a, you know, a place, a living place, right? A, and, and if you add up the, you know, all those layers, 
the surface area of all those layers comes to 484 million square kilometers. The total surface area of planet Earth is just a little more than that, 510 square kilometers. So basically you've got the entire space of planet Earth inside of this city. I don't, I don't know. I, it's just an idea. Just a crazy idea. But I, the, the point is we have no idea what God has planned. Scripture says, um, right? Uh, where is it here? No, um, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love Him. Right? No idea. Here's what I know. Not only is the kingdom of heaven coming, the kingdom of heaven has come. It's here. King Jesus is at work right now on planet Earth, and he's at work right now. Come on up, Natalie. He's at work right now in lives and hearts. And folks, we have a message of hope. And I invite you to stand. We're going to close. I've asked Natalie to do a, a song talking about the uh, Jesus breaks every chain. And uh, I just want to encourage you today that Jesus' kingdom is at work here in this room. And if you have something that you need broken, If you have, if the kingdom of darkness is something that's, you know, still, still somehow got a hold, whether through sickness or fear or depression or um, some situation that you're dealing with, and you need to see the kingdom of heaven brought to bear, the authority of the king brought to bear on your situation I want to invite you to come and receive prayer this morning our, our prayer team our breakthrough team is going to come and uh, make themselves available to you but I want to I want to pray for you today Jesus you are our king you are the champion who's coming. You are going, you are working out your justice and your love and your peace on planet Earth. The stuff that we walk through is not being wasted, but Jesus, you're actually using all of it to bring about your purpose and plan. We ask today that you would come in hearts and lives, those on, online this morning that are watching, those in this room, God, that you would come and show yourself powerful. Because the kingdom of darkness must bow its knee to the kingdom of God. 
And Jesus, your government and peace are continually increasing. We declare in this place today, your kingdom come and your will be done. So Father, we declare breakthrough. We declare chains broken today in Jesus' name. We declare hope and peace and life and healing in the powerful name of Jesus. <clears throat> we give you thanks. Everyone say amen. amen. God bless you. Feel free to just uh, linger and worship. Feel free to come and receive prayer.